Welcome to the podcast of Real Life Ministries Arizona. Let's get ready for the message from this week's Sunday gathering. Um, chapter one, um, we discovered that um, God, through our book, that the purpose of life uh, is to know and to love and to follow God. And then in chapter two, um, we learned that got a problem in that God is invisible, but that he revealed himself, uh, revealed himself um, through his son, Jesus. And then in chapter three, um, you heard Jesus claim about being the great I am and that he is uh, whatever we need. Jesus is all that we need. In chapter four, the author started breaking down this, um, what that means. And he started first that Jesus um, is the truth and then in chapter five, that Jesus is a door, a door that we pass through, um, if you will, um, through this barrier called sin, and Jesus is the only door. Um, and then uh, chapter six, which is we, we looked at last week. And chapter six, you really look at it as, as a pause, um, and I really appreciate that the authors did that because um, if we don't understand this door thing, that then it really doesn't make sense to move forward. Um, and once again, that door being that moment, if you will, um, whatever that looked like for you, when um, you recognize you are, that when I recognized I am sinful and separated from God and the only way to enter into his presence is through Jesus. And so there's that, that idea of the door. Um, and so we're moving on today to chapter seven. Um, which is really important, once again, that we understand the door because that's about a, a one-time experience or it could be a crisis experience that you go through, uh, whereas chapter seven applies more to the Christian life after we move through the door. Um, and so that's really important that we understand that today as we, we look at chapter seven. Um, chapter five, once again, we saw him as the door, and now uh, we see that Jesus um, is the way. Okay, and I know Mandalorian has started up again, and we've used that term. Uh, this is the way, and, and we've, um, but uh, this chapter focuses on the fact that Jesus is the way, and it's, it's more about now a journey um, that uh, it's even called, because we're looking at Isaiah 35, the way of holiness is, is that this whole idea that Jesus is the way. Matthew 14, uh, 7, 14, Jesus refers to himself as the narrow door um, that we pass through. Uh, and then also in John 14, 6, he refers to himself as the way. And so these are terms throughout the, the Gospels that we see. Um, and so once again, it's important uh, to note here that <clears throat> our life in Christ isn't just about walking through a door that we get on the other side of and that we're in this cute little room and it's really warm and fuzzy, and we were, we're having these experiences um, of this kind of static, ongoing, repetitive experience in Christ. No, it's a door that we move through, but it leads somewhere. It's, um, uh, it's about a lifelong journey with Jesus. And so the door can be referred to then as our experience of salvation, some big words here, salvation, and the way refers to more of our new identity in Christ and our sanctification. And um, page 118, the author um, says this and clarifying this whole imagery. Um, and he says, it will, however, save the reader 
uh, from confusing the image, imagery if he reads the present chapter that he regards this as a picture of the door as applying either to the beginning of the Christian life or to some further crisis experience. What follows now applies to the Christian life itself after entrance by the door and is concerned about how to continue in the experience of grace into which we have entered. And uh, the Apostle Paul was um, very uh, familiar with this. Um, and, uh, you know, here he was the chief, refers to himself as the chief of sinners, right? That's a common uh, phrase that Paul uses about himself. Um, he goes from being this chief of sinners where he was literally killing Christians and he was going out and pursuing, as Acts calls, the people of the way. That was the early church. That's what they called themselves. And Paul, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, saw this as a challenge to his historical religion. And Paul literally was going out and gathering up them up and they were being killed. And Paul goes from being the chief of sinners, killing Christians, to being God's most impactful man in history in terms of sharing the good news of the gospel. And it was that moment when Jesus, or uh, we read in Acts 9, where Paul passes through the door, if you will, when he has his experience with Jesus. Um, and so this idea of going through a door and being on a journey was very familiar um, for the Apostle Paul. And uh, in fact, he refers to, um, in Philippians chapter 2, as this journey is the working out of our salvation. There's this idea that we're, we're someone at the beginning, but we're not supposed to stay there. Uh, and then Romans 12, um, he refers to it as being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so chapter 7 for us, getting on the way of holiness, is about this journey of we're not who we're going to be eventually <laughs> um, than who we are right now. And that there is this journey, this, um, uh, as Paul would call it, I think, just that, that he, was, he was so overwhelmed by the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus, he couldn't not tell people about that journey. And so chapter 7, for me, is a little bit of a wake-up call, I think. Um, I don't know how you felt as you were reading it. Um, but for me, it was really a wake-up call and, and just the overwhelming goodness of God and that uh, just a reminder that ah, I'm not alone. Uh, I don't step through the door and then um, my sins are washed away, which is amazing, right? Uh, every day we should wake up and go, oh my gosh, I am saved by grace. Um, but it's not just about that. It's not just that we sit there. He greets us at the door as soon as we enter in. And he accepts us, he accepts me as I am. There's no secret handshake or, or penance to pay. There's no gross sin that I need to work on or get rid of before I can go any further <laughs> on the journey. Um, there's no religious lingo that I need to learn. And yet I realize um, within this group, we all have, can have a variety of backgrounds growing up, whether it was in church or not in church. And it's very, very possible um, that this side of heaven, uh, man's, um, 
most sincere efforts to live out of, in a faith community, um, there are certainly uh, chances that some of us may have gone through shame in the past, or, or we went to a, a fellowship where God's grace wasn't shared um, uh, that much from up front, and, and yet I think God would be grieved by that. I think God um, delights in us wherever we are when we pass through the door, and that he is patient with us. Uh, and um, I think that uh, if I just want to say if you have ever felt shamed or felt like you don't belong in some kind of a faith community, I think the Lord is just grieved by that. And I, I love it that um, I think this chapter for me is just a great reminder of the Lord accepts us exactly where we are and that we get on a journey with him, that he's not just leading us as if he's out front of us and we have to keep finding him, but rather he is in us and he is literally the way. I love this quote I found this week, and to be honest with you, and some of you may have seen it, I don't know where it came from, but um, this, uh, I think, just is a great uh, expression, a great example of, um, from the New Testament, um, that the Lord accepts us exactly how we are, and it's just called um, the Thief on the Cross Theology, and so let's look at this together. How does the Thief on the Cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission trip, no volunteerism, no financial gifts, and no church clothes. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He didn't say the sinner's prayer, and among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite his scoffers. Yet, it was a thief who walked into paradise the same hour as Jesus simply by believing. He had nothing more to offer than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. No spin from the brilliant theologians, no ego or arrogance, no shiny lights, skinny jeans, or crafty words, no haze machine, donuts, or coffee in the lobby. Just a naked, dying man on a cross, unable to, unable to even fold his hands to pray. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I think that that is good news. That's good news for all of us. And I think it's critical, once again, that we understand um, this idea, um, this full expression of grace. Because if we don't, and once again, I think it's why our um, our authors took that pause in, in chapter 6. Um, if we don't understand this grace, then we will revert back to, as our authors called it, Sinai living, or living under the law, of being so hard on ourselves that we're not stacking up, we're not doing the right things, um, rather than really missing out. Uh, if we're doing that, then we're really missing out on the freedom that God has called us into. And so chapter 7 is full of good news um, that should bring us hope. And the authors call this the way of holiness. And, uh, and that comes from Isaiah 35, um, which is in our um, readings. But uh, these two, some couple notes in here. <clears throat> and, you know, for me, once again, this... 
there are times when scriptures are thrown out in our book and it, it's easy for me to just read that and go, oh, okay, there's, a, there's kind of the point that they were making. Um, but for me, this was really the central point of this entire chapter. And so that's why we're going to spend a little more time on this. Um, and so Isaiah 35, 8 and 9 says, uh, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall, <clears throat> they shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. This term, um, I think we can get a little mixed up of this term, does not suggest meaning the way of holiness, doesn't suggest... Um, and it's the way I read it the first time I looked at it, that the way of holiness um, is, oh, meaning I got to become holy, which puts me back into, oh my gosh, <laughs> Sinai thinking, my life isn't holy enough, and so I, I'm not measuring up, and, and yet um, that is not uh, what this is re referring to, but rather um, holiness is referring to the presence of God. And so the idea here is, this isn't about our performance and that we are to become this holy, uh, live in this holy existence. It's rather, it's the character of God. And what uh, the prophet Isaiah is calling them into is to a relationship and a way of, the way of walking in the experience of God. And so as people who have been redeemed, and so this passage, we can put that back up there again, this passage is referring to us, for those who have surrendered their lives to Christ. That is the redeemed. We are redeemed. Um, and so it is this lifelong journey of walking in the presence of God. Another reference from our book, from one, page 128, says, If the sinner needs the door, us prior to entering the door, the saint us after we pass through the door needs a way a highway cast up a way prepared along which he can walk in rest joy and power through or rather above as is referenced in this passage the swamps of sin and so the fact that the authors um, referred to this passage so many times um, and this idea of the way of holiness um, they referred to it at least three times um, I did I, I just wanted to look a little bit deeper and what are they talking about what's the context of this scripture and uh, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something um, uh, as we were kind of moving forward with this passage because there's so much good here um, I would, as I was reading through this I and preparing, I thought back to a movie that I saw a long time ago, um, and uh, it's it's it takes place. Well, it, it's based on a book that was written. And it says in the summer of 1969, a young doctor, young doctor named Oliver Sacks, he was working on uh, an experimental drug, and he gave the drug to patients who suffered from a condition commonly called 
sleeping sickness. Patients with sleeping sickness uh, existed in a catatonic state, a catatonic state. They weren't completely unconscious. They might respond to some kind of stimuli, but they were never fully awake. They were like sleepwalkers, if they walked at all, lost in a cloudy, dreamlike state. Dr. St Dr. Sachs used a drug on these patients yielding such dramatic results that he wrote a book about it. His book was later made into a movie called Awakenings, starring Robin Williams as the doctor and Robert De Niro as Leonard Lowe, the first patient to be awakened. And so after 30 years, I don't know if any of you have seen this movie, it's actually a very good movie. After 30 years of existing in a sleep-like state, Leonard wakes up. He regains his ability to walk and talk. And he's so excited about, I'm setting up a little film clip that we're gonna see. And he's so excited about this new life that he has, uh, he calls the doctor, Robin Williams, in the middle of the night and says that he has to talk to him. And the doctor hurries over, um, and here's a little bit of that clip of that um, conversation that is so important for Leonard to share with the doctor. Things that have happened to me, things that I've come to understand, things, things. Where are you calling from, Lenny? Your office. It's very late. Is it? Leonard. You stay there, I'll be right over. through this experimental drug, um, but his, really, his heart really gets into it at that point. And, and I love that just this idea of him being awakened, Leonard being awakened um, out of this catatonic state, and that he discovers anew what it means to live joyfully and um, re-experiencing the wonder of life and realizes, because he's in a place where People are still in that state, and he realizes people are just walking around like zombies. They don't really, they're not really appreciating uh, life. They're walking and talking and seemingly like they're living, but really the fact is they're just sleepwalking, and they're not experiencing life. Well, Isaiah 35 um, 
is the prophet's reminder of how good life is. Isaiah 35 is Isaiah's um, reminder that life is worth living and that it's a wonderful gift. And yes, there are difficult times, and that was covered in chapter 34, um, the previous chapter to this. And it's in chapter 34. Uh, and once again, I don't know how much reading you did looking at this um, passage um, that we're referred to, um, chapter 35. But chapter 34 is a real acknowledgement that, you know what, life, life has been bad. And for the Israelites, he uses language that they were very, very familiar with. Uh, he gives details of the oppression that the, uh, the Israelites had suffered. Words like judgment and destruction are used uh, in chapter 34, referring to those who have turned their backs on God and those who have um, caused harm to them. Words like judgment, once again, and destruction. Chapter 34 is Isaiah's honest look at how bad things had gotten. He acknowledges this world that we encounter, um, that we live in. There will be difficult times. The dangers of living in the desert. And so for them, once again, they understood that. Yeah, in, in the hot months, the desert goes completely barren and there isn't anything living. And so for them, they could really understand but it doesn't stay that way. They were aware of the dangers, but all of that changes in chapter 35. And that is what the prophet Isaiah is trying to awaken them to, to awaken their faith and to experience God again. And so a few other things that come out of this. Um, verses 1 through 7, setting up what we already read in 8 and 9, um, says this desert was a parched land. The wilderness, um, sure we lived in wilderness, but there will be rejoice and uh, there will be rejoicing and there will be a blossom. Like the crocus, um, it will burst and bloom. It will bring, re bring, bring rejoicing and they will shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see God, they will see the glory of God and the Lord in all of his splendor. He will strengthen their feeble hands. He will steady their knees. And he goes through all of these things that once again, for the children of Israel, these were things that they understood. And this, um, these words that are used, once again, I don't know about you, I, I can sometimes read things in the Old Testament and go, oh, okay, crocus. I have no idea what that is, but that must be important. And Lebanon, and well, I know a little bit about Lebanon, but not like it was back then. Um, but for the Israelites, as they were reading Isaiah 35, it was bringing hope. Crocus was the most beautiful flower. It was a bulb that would go dormant during the hottest times. And it, when you looked across the desert, you saw nothing. You only saw barren. But as spring came, it was the first flower to bloom and crocus, uh, the crocus flower would produce um, a, uh, something that they would come out of it, that would come out of it, it's called saffron. And it's what they would use to color their cloth. It's what they would use in medicines. And even today, it is still used, saffron is still used to make the most expensive um, perfumes um, that are made today. And then 
Lebanon for them was famously known for cedar trees. Um, and Lebanon literally means the work of God and not man. Carmel uh, was one of the most beautiful wooded areas in that region. And it, uh, that word literally means garden land. And then Sharon was a location known for its fertile pasture land and mean standards of beauty. And so here, Isaiah is trying to remind them how God has been faithful to them. And he's using these words that for them were, oh, that's right. We don't just live in a desert. We're not doing this on our own, but God is with us. And the Israelites knew of these things and God's promises that he would transform their barren, um, desert-like, <coughs> wilderness lives into, a beautiful, into beautiful places reflecting his glory. And so he uses this term, the highway, the way of holiness, this highway that we as the redeemed enter with him. <clears throat> Isaiah 35, for the Israelites and for us, is an awakening, which is why the authors spend so much time on it. It's the reminder that God is faithful, and that Jesus is not only with us, but he is leading us along the way because he is the way. Isaiah 35 is the prophet's plea, wake up. You don't want to miss this. He didn't want them to be in a catatonic state just going through the motions in their relationship with God. They were a redeemed people on a highway with their Lord who would protect them on the journey home. Second part of chapter or verse 9 says, No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. God is protecting them as they are on the way with him. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And then verse 10, And the ransomed, of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. And so Isaiah is even careful to remind them this isn't just about a passing through the door. This isn't even just about the journey that we're on right now, but he gives them a hope for a future. Zion always refers to Jerusalem or the promised land and eternity with our Lord. And so, what does that look like for us as we live this out today? What does walking this uh, highway of holiness, if you will, um, look like as we're walking our journeys here? As a group of redeemed people uh, who are, as the prophet Isaiah says, are on this highway of holiness, what does it look like for you? Do you have any, um, I was even thinking this, do you have any examples of your own life that you can think of to where you went from Isaiah 34, feeling like you were in a barren land and um, without joy, um, and where the Lord took you on a way, if you will, and you experienced Isaiah, had an Isaiah 35 experience, where you saw the Lord provide and bring life. Um, and... 
What are some of the things maybe that stuck out for you in this chapter in light of uh, the Isaiah 35 passage? What are some things maybe that encouraged you as you read this chapter? Maybe what are some things that challenged you uh, from this chapter? Kathy had read, I think you read from, was it page 123 you read from? I think Kathy on your setup and that was something that stuck out for me and, and just this idea that um, you know, when I'm walking along my journey with the Lord, um, and maybe times it feels like maybe I've slipped off the highway, if you will, using this reference, and that I'm not uh, somehow maybe I'm feeling stuck. Um, maybe my times with the Lord don't feel um, very um, meaningful, um, and my natural tendency is just to oh go and do things um, uh, without really getting at the issue. And he makes the reference in our walk with Christ, you know, Bible study and fellowship and witnessing and all those things are important things on the way. But when we find that we're just, uh, we have a cold heart, sometimes that just means we just need to confess that we have a cold heart and just to take that to the Lord. And once again, that he is faithful to we're on the in a relationship with him it is sometimes we just need to be honest about where we're at and go to the the source of the problem and confessing lord i just have a cold heart and i want to surrender that to you right now because um, i can make a lot of other things <laughs> the door if you will um whereas really no it's my relationship with jesus that's most important i, I can relate to that too jeff i was feeling stuck for a while, and I think that those were my defaults, was trying to have better church attendance and, and things like that, and it says, uh, it says that these things, they have no answer to sin, um, and sin is the Christian's problem, or is Brad's problem all the time, um, and it says Satan knows how to provoke our hearts to wrong reactions, right, so that is just obviously further um, fuel for Christ is yeah. the way and not all these other works that we try to do because yeah. it's already been done. He took that equation out for us, for me. Yeah, I think it's, you kind of said it, um, yeah, kind of said it, but even it's right here, like the, the way consecrated for people like ourselves is the Lord Jesus himself. Um, and then later down it says, on either side of, on either side, there are songs of sin. And you, like, I don't know, thinking about, like, Jesus as this, this door, and then walking through that door, and then there's a path of righteousness. But then, and there's, you know, nothing can, nothing can come against us on that path of righteousness. But on either side of that path is the songs of sin. And it's so easy for us to walk through a door that leads us into that swamp. It's not something coming and taking us off of that highway of righteousness, but there's, there's, like we walk through that, that door, but there's, that, that, that is the way of Jesus, but there's these other doors that, like we open these doors that we, we walk through and it leads us to this path of sin. Yeah. And it's easy to, I think it's easy for us to, to confuse that with, like, there's something that's taking me 
there's something that's pulling me away from God, but it's really, there's, there's these doors that we're choosing to go through that lead us away from Him. And, and when you're talking about, like, like having that, like, cold heart, like, there's a, I think there's, like, a difference between, like, having a, a religious attitude, where it's, like, works, 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 but, like, and Paul talked about, like, faith without works is dead. You still have, there's a faith that you are redeemed, and, 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 and like, you, you are constantly being renewed in Christ, but without, like, without walking on that highway, it's, like, the faith is dead. I think if, if you're asking what does walking in a highway of holiness look like for you, I think beholding the one who is holy, it, I can never attain any kind of holiness in and of myself. So it's like I need to behold and I need to understand what does that mean that God is holy, that he's so set apart, he's so different. He's so unlike me, but like, like you guys are all talking about too, like being in his presence, like that, and then and knowing that it can, like that there's nothing that prevents me from entering into that place, his throne of grace, if I can be transformed in that, and through confession, and through repentance, and through this brokenness that he's always going to have his arms open, and like I can continue to come back to him. You know, and that's where like surrender happens, and that's where transformation happens, and that's where holy. I feel like that's where holiness, you know, that sanctification process happens. Right. Like it changes and transforms because now I know that I've beheld the glory of God. I've beheld Him. I can't be the same. Yeah. Like that's doesn't. I can't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll pick. I'll pick back up on that. That was a kind of. A, Kind of thinking about just being able to say that, but um, yeah, being holy means to, to be set apart, mm-hmm. and we're all made like uniquely as a son and as a daughter. Mm-hmm. So, like, our version of holiness is being who we are as the son of Christ, as a daughter of Christ. And we think it's like we, we'll try to like do the whole performance of it. Oh, being holy is just not doing these things, yeah. No, being holy is being yourself abundantly, it's being completely you. While you're in the whole, like, while you're walking in intimacy with the Lord, yeah. you know. So I just want to bring that in because, like, yeah. we're talking about the highway, and like, we can't really thrust ourselves on the highway because then we'll get into the area of performance. Mm-hmm. But the highway, like, knowing, it's more of a fruit that we get to see mm-hmm. of what, what we're beholding. So if we're seeing a bunch, a bunch of sin in our lives, it's not the fact that we just need to cut off the fruit. The root of it is what are we beholding? Because the beholding is the root of the tree that gives the fruit of whatever mm-hmm. yeah. actions are. Yeah. Had someone write in um, something. To, oh, this is Troy. <laughs> um, pointing me to a continuous sensitivity to the Spirit in directing and redirecting redirecting me on the way. And the fact that simple repentance, even in the smallest things, is the key to continually following Jesus on the way. And a lack of sensitivity and repentance will quickly get me off the path. And the, the reference 
notes on this is, I'm not sure what page it is, but this is just so good. So it is that victory ever come, uh, so it is that victory ever comes by repentance, coupled, coupled with the simple trusting him to be uh, to us what he promises. And yeah, I was gonna bring up something similar to that and just this idea of, um, it, it, and there's a danger here, I think, um, in, uh, on page one, uh, 131, this idea of um, being in just basically a constant awareness of, uh, you know, in scripture it talks about pray without ceasing. Um, but uh, I think that um, even just this idea of allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us thus gives us a greater sensitivity maybe to how we're treating people and what we're thinking about and Certainly the, um, and you know, First John, 1, or First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. And um, of course, going back to chapter six, <laughs> the evil one would love us to get overly consumed with how off we are, meaning how, oh, my thoughts haven't changed as much as I want them to, or I feel like I'm constantly repenting and, and yet, that is not what it means to walk with Jesus. <laughs> um, it's about a relationship. And so even as Troy said and re referenced this, uh, it is that simple victory ever comes by repentance coupled with the simple trusting in him that he will be, that uh, to be with us, he will be everything that he promises to us. And it's this idea of walking with Jesus every day, no matter what we're doing. Page 34 um, uh, is where he kind of references this and just, um, yeah, whatever it is that's going on, most important this way is simply walking with Jesus, the central phrase out of this passage. Jesus is both the way itself and the one who walks beside us, bearing on his shoulders the responsibility of our affairs. We can go shopping with Jesus. We can go to work with him. We can do the most menial tasks uh, with him. If we are cleansed from our sin as we go, we shall many times a day turn to him and seek his guidance. And once again, that's that, just that idea of constantly walking along with him. And I, I wanted to bring up our, um, we've studied experiencing God, and I think this is just a great graphic for me because I think there are times when it feels like, you know, if, if you haven't gone through this study, it's just this idea that God is at work around us. He invites us into a relationship with him, which in, invites us to be involved in what he is doing and that he will speak. And then we come to a point of a crisis of belief, whether we are going to follow him or not. And we have to make an adjustment and obey him. And sometimes that can feel like I'm going through all of those steps and yet I think the idea is eventually, I, in my relationship with him, I discover so quickly what it is he wants that it really is, hopefully just becomes my natural reaction because I'm becoming more like Christ, because I'm allowing him, allowing him to flow through me. And, um, uh, and I'm gonna close with this. Um, I'm gonna sing a couple more songs, but, um, the passage that comes to my mind in this is out of John chapter 15 and just this 
idea of that um, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are, we're the branches. Um, and just that picture of uh, that we need to remain in him. And there's a few different words that is used there. We need to abide. We need to remain in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And just, it's that idea. Well, for them, that was a picture that they really could understand because they would grow grapes and, um, and there was this, they would often take a branch from one uh, vine and attach it to another. And, and I had a little experience with this. Um, for a while, we lived in Salinas, California and my regional director was a couple hundred miles away and I'd period periodically go to meetings, but on my way I would drive through these um, vineyards. And um, it was really interesting because what I discovered was as I'm driving through dozens and dozens of miles of vineyards in these fields, um, I would see workers out there um, and, and I got just really curious. And so I stopped at one field where the vine was only like a foot tall and uh, they hadn't even put up the, you know, the trellis yet or, or anything to start giving it a shape. And but then the next field, I saw them, they were a little bit taller and I saw workers out there and they were literally in these contraptions. It was like a cart that had a cloth hanging where they were literally laying parallel to the ground so that they could be right at ground level. And they had all these um, baskets full of other little vines and branches. And what they were doing was pulling themselves along, going to each um, vine, cutting a hole, you know, cutting a little slit, taking this other branch and grafting it to it, and then tying it off with a little piece of wire that would eventually disintegrate. But that's how they would then begin to get it shaped. And so then I would keep driving and I got to the next one and that field, well, they had done that three weeks before. And so I could still see where it was grafted in, but it was starting to take shape. And then by the time I got to three or four fields later, here are these full blooms of these um, grapevines. And I walked in there and I to look at those where they were grafted in and you couldn't tell that it had ever been grafted in. And I just love that picture and that that's what we are to be in Christ. We are to be grafted into him. We are to remain in him. And sure, early on, it may look a little funky and I may not feel like I'm grafted in very well and the, that it might not take, if you will. Um, but eventually, as we abide in him and we follow him on the way, if you will, and we allow him to work through us, then going back to our little picture, it will be like, wow, my response, I'll find things in my life. The Lord has taught me some things and I'll go, oh my gosh, I responded as Christ wanted me to immediately. It wasn't this long process of me messing up and trying to get back on the path, if you will. Um, but I think that's what it means to abide in Christ and to, um, to look at him as the way. And so um, as we remain in him, um, our life hopefully will look more like him um, and there will be little sign of that that um, whole that that original moment of grafting in and so let me pray and we're gonna sing a couple more songs Lord thank you for your word that it's true 
that is alive and well and moving among us. And Father, I pray that you would um, just uh, help us to um, put into practice what it means, Lord, to live in joy. Lord, to remember, to be awakened to your goodness and that we um, would see you, Lord, as the way. And that um, you um, are with us in the journey. You are leading us in the journey. And Lord, thank you that you are in us. You have good in mind for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please visit our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at reallifearizona.com. May God richly bless you.